developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Lynn and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today visiting with us is Dr. Tina Esposito. Dr. Tina is truly an amazing person as you'll quickly see her passion and success. And today we're going to talk about acquired brain injury identification, its management, and the role of collaborating with an interdisciplinary team. That's a mouthful, but basically we're going to talk about brain injury and how important vision and vision rehab and working with the other team members is for your recovery. But first, let's start with a little bit about Dr. Uh, Tina. She grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and moved to Arizona for high school, and that's where she graduated from University of Arizona in 2009. And then she got her doctorate degree from Arizona College of Optometry in 2013. She served um, as a vision therapy resident at the Southern College of Optometry in Memphis, Tennessee. Tina came back to Arizona, and she uh, now works at the Arizona College of Optometry, where she, she sees patients in the acquired brain injury and rehab clinics at Midwestern University Eye Institute. And I add the unique opportunity of visiting that institute last year, and boy, was I ever impressed, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Uh, Dr. Tina is the clinical care coordinator for the pediatrics and vision therapy department on campus, and she has now acquired the role of medical director for the vision, for the therapy institute. Uh, Dr. Tina is a fellow of the Academy of Optometry, as well as the COVD, College of Optometrists in Vision Development. So we're very happy to have you today. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight, Dr. Tina Esposito. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So let's get started. I have not had the opportunity yet of really having very many podcasts on acquired brain injury. So let's start by having you define some of the terms we're going to use. And let's start with acquired brain injury. Go ahead. And what is that? I think that's a great question. So typically when we think about acquired brain injury, we kind of use this as this overarching umbrella to kind of talk about any type of insult or injury to the brain. And whether that's an external injury or maybe an injury that was acquired internally. So this acquired brain injury kind of just becomes this umbrella term for us to kind of break down the types of injury a little bit further. So underneath this acquired brain injury umbrella, we kind of can go into two routes. The first route that we tend to go to is the traumatic brain injury, which tends to be more of an external force that is an alteration in the brain function or 
causing some sort of uh, dysfunction. So those could be falls, um, motor vehicle accidents, or things that we're more commonly seeing in the news today, concussions from maybe a sports-related injury. The other route, if we're kind of going off of this umbrella, tends to be the non-traumatic brain injury, which looks more at the internal injuries within the brain. So when we think about acquired with the internal elements, we're thinking more of things like the stroke elements, um, ruptured aneurysms, cerebral vascular accidents, tumors, or maybe just lack of brain injury or um, lack, lack of brain oxygen. So um, it's really just kind of this umbrella term to really talk about any alteration with brain, with the brain function and then kind of just branching off, whether it's external or internal. Thank you for that. And um, what's relatively new, like 50 years or more, is how vision plays such an important role, uh, both in diagnostics and rehab patients. If you could give us a little insight, you know, who, who actually diagnoses the acquired brain injury? And the next question will be, and what role does vision have in this whole process when somebody has a brain injury? So typically, I think when somebody has a brain injury or somebody has a fall or stroke, their initial instinct is to go to their, you know, their primary care physician to kind of work through a lot of the symptomology that they might be having after they've experienced some sort of event or some sort of accident. Now, what I think people are starting to realize a little bit more, and hopefully the awareness kind of comes out to some of the doctors who might be outside of the optometric profession, is that one of the largest um, symptoms that actually can come from a patient who has an acquired brain injury are sequelae from the vision. And I think what we uh, need to kind of take into consideration is that when we think about the brain, that every single element of the brain, whether we're looking at the frontal lobe, the parietal, the temporal, the occipital lobe, each has an area that has some effect on vision. So regardless of where that hit is or where that stroke has happened, some area of the patient's vision, whether it's processing or more anatomical or more structural, is going to be affected in some particular way. So once they see their primary care or whoever, the neurologist, the goal would be to get over to an optometrist because an optometrist has, or has a very large role in treating brain injury. And it kind of breaks down into various elements. The first portion would be the treatment of ocular disease or injury. So if a patient comes in and they got hit in the face with a ball, you know, managing those structures and making sure that the health portion of the eye looks good. Or if somebody had a stroke, making sure that the retina looks nice and healthy. But even further into that, then you start to get these subspecialization areas of treating the visual dysfunction. And this is really where it goes into this idea that vision is so much more than 2020. Because when we think about brain injury and some of the literature is out there, some of the most common sequelae that happen are binocular vision related, accommodative related, and ocular motor. So when you come to an optometrist, or especially somebody who knows to look for these things, then we start utilizing lenses, prisms, occlusion, different types of visual rehabilitation or vision therapy to treat these underlying visual dysfunctions that might not show up on a regular test because nine times out of 10, most of the brain injury patients are going to be 2020. I think another portion for our role is counseling and education. The other doctors right. or any time talk about this topic is that it is so important for the counseling and education of these individuals because 
they don't know what's going on. They're scared and they want to know, you know the visual problems, the functional implications. They want to know about their goals, their prognosis, and what these management options are. So a lot of times, whether it's something where they have a hemianopsia and they're missing half of their vision, something where they're just experiencing maybe some double vision when they read, being able to counsel them of the implications of what's going on is so crucial and sometimes even more crucial than all of the hours of testing that we do for them. And then I think the last portion where optometry's role is slowly starting to break into but really needs to continue to expand is this consultation with other professionals. I think a lot of people, when we think about rehab and brain injury in the hospitals, immediately default to speech and OT and physical therapy because that's just what's in the scene. That's on the scene at the time of the injury. But optometry should really be just as crucial of a, of a team member considering 60% of these patients have vision implications. So it's really being able to build this network of other professionals to be able to collaborate and be able to not just treat the eyeballs, but treat the patient as a whole. So I think optometry is a really large role once the patient finally finds their way into your chair. Well, thank you for all of that. Let's unpack some of your uh, information. You, you gave us a lot of info. You know, many of our listeners um, are not physicians or therapists, and so this may be somewhat new to them. And the first thing that you mentioned so beautifully is often these problems are hidden. I mean, it's real easy if somebody's in an accident and their arm doesn't move and it's broken or they diagnose that. But with vision problems, so often, as you mentioned, you know, these patients see well, uh, they don't always know to complain or, or they just, something's different. Something's weird. Something's wiggly. They get motion sick so that they don't always relate, nor do the doctors are seeing that there could be a hidden vision problem. So that's a real important factor. And the other thing I, I was interested that you mentioned that 60% of you know patients with brain injuries have a visual problem. You know, I was speaking at a hospital years ago and when you look at statistics, they vary greatly, and that's partly because of just how vision is de defined in literature. And I mentioned, I said 70 to 90% of patients with brain injury, traumatic and stroke have some type of visual component. And a neurologist jumps up and raises his hand. He said, you're wrong. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, what's he going to say next? And what he said was, I think 100% of my patients have a visual component. So what, whatever the number is, it's a high majority of patients have some type of uh, hidden vision difficulty. Um, how does a person who has an injury find, a, you've mentioned an optometrist, but how do all optometrists do this kind of work? Do ophthalmologists? I mean, how do they navigate and find a doc to help them with their visual problems? That's a, that's a great question. So I will say that this typically tends to be an area of optometry, or optometry that optometrists own. Um, you know, I think ophthalmology does a great job with the structure of the eye and the treatment of the ocular disease or injury. But I think more of the underlying testing of looking for that vision beyond 2020 tends to fall on the lap of an optometrist. Those are the tools that we have to be successful. Now, I will say that 
one thing that's unique about optometry is that there are so many different paths for an optometrist to follow after school and whether they, you know, choose to do a residency in rehabilitation or maybe contact lenses is something to, um, to kind of think about because that's just the path that they might take. So when you are looking for a doctor or you're looking for somebody who might uh, be able to help, it doesn't hurt to look for a developmental optometrist or an optometrist that specializes in vision therapy or vision rehabilitation or acquired brain injury. Because those doctors just have a little bit of that extra training to be able to um, uncover some of these. Now, with that being said, there are doctors that have special certifications that um, also help make them extremely qualified to know what to look for. And I think being a fellow in the College of Optometrists in Vision Development or the COVD membership, the uh, doctors who specialize in their fellowship in NORA or the Neuro Optometric Rehabilitation Association, those are all great ways to also find a provider in your area who might be able to help you with this. Now, there are doctor locators online um, for both of those certifications or any of those um, additional credentials where you can just go online, put your zip code in, and it'll pull up a list of providers who might be a little bit more specialized to help you um, navigate through that. And then the other thing that I will add that I think has been a tremendous resource, and maybe a little bit more since I became a parent, but I think your social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, have some great support groups of parents or for doctors supporting patients to really go ahead and kind of help give those resources and help find providers in your area that may have helped them or may have helped a family member for you to be successful. Yeah, those are great ideas. And um, uh, the websites will be listed in our show notes, but covd.org, C-O-V is in Victor, D is in dog. That means the College of Optometrists and Vision Development.org, as well as norvisionrehab.org. Um, those are two great sites to help find a doctor. And, and um, hopefully, you know, many of these eye docs, these optometrists in rehab are working closely with uh, hospitals, rehab centers, et cetera. But uh, so often, I'm sure you see patients refer to you that here this uh, patient's had severe injury and they've been hospitalized now they're in rehab and nobody's even really paid attention to their vision and it's three to six months post-injury. Um, so we're going to talk about re, uh, treatment after the break. But, you know, I mentioned just a couple of the symptoms, signs and symptoms of patients with brain injury. Can you go ahead and, you know, talk about some of the more classic symptoms that may show up after an injury? Yeah, absolutely. So some of the most common symptoms that patients might experience after an injury are blurred or decreased vision. So maybe vision is missing in either a part of your field or maybe all of your field or just blurred vision. So almost like you're looking at a piece of paper when you're reading and it starts off clear, but after a few seconds of looking at it, the words just look like they start to smudge, almost like ink is running as if there was water on the page and you try and wipe it away and you can't and then you have to blink a few times and that helps a little bit but then it kind of goes right back to normal or it kind of goes right back to that blur double vision i think double vision is one that's very misleading to patients because i think they have 
this classic understanding of double vision as two separate images, and that's often not the case. And I think we can appreciate from patients who have uh, binocular vision issues like convergence insufficiency, which is one of the most common binocular vision issues that happen after an injury, it causes more of an overlapping where it looks like these two images, but they tend to just start to separate from one another. So I always like to demonstrate to my patients in the office to kind of give them different definitions of what double vision looks like so that one of them probably will click. Headaches is a really large one, and headaches come from a variety of sources. And I think everybody goes through all of the routes to kind of rule out headaches, but I think vision gets underlooked. And I will tell you that patients that have eye teaming, eye tracking, eye focusing issues are very likely to have headaches because if the visual system doesn't want to work, the brain's not going to put in the effort to do that either. You know, if I can interrupt you, um, I I remember I had a patient referred to me and and, uh, this patient seen neurologists and and pain specialists and uh, had constant headaches and was on many meds to try. And it's not uncommon after you've been knocked on the head pretty good that you're going to have some chronic headaches. It could be for a long time. And this was months and months and months. And this young man needed to get back to work and he couldn't. He was an IT specialist and he couldn't do his work. So somebody finally sent him in for a vision exam. And what we found out was that after his injury, he couldn't wear his contact lenses, which he had a high amount of astigmatism, which is a different way to be blurry. Most people wearing glasses have astigmatism and it's blurred vision. And after injury, so often, you know, you get the dry eyes and you can't blink and you don't feel like putting your contacts and he had no backup pair for his glasses. And so he was walking around for months uncorrected trying to do computer work. And we all know in the eye care field, well, that's a a headache waiting to happen. And so we just fitted him with contact lenses and these headaches miraculously went away because in this case, they were totally caused by uncorrected vision. And again, so often there's so many other serious medical things that go on after an injury that sometimes the obvious is overlooked. So I just wanted to share that story as you mentioned headaches. Thanks a lot. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Great point. Yeah. Um, so go ahead and uh, what other symptoms? I think, you know, um, some of the more uh, specialized questions that I think patients kind of experience but don't really think to say out loud because nobody ever directly asks them are things like, you know, words moving around on the page or words looking like they're swimming or having to use your finger to help you keep place while you're reading, rereading lines or rereading words, forgetting what you read or not comprehending the information that's being read to you or your reading because you're constantly rereading the same paragraph over and over and then having to put so much energy into keeping your place that everything else just becomes so non-existent. I think, you know, we talk a lot about binocular vision or eye teaming and eye tracking and eye focusing. With patients who have brain injuries, visual information processing deficits are also just as important for us to look out for. And visual You want to explain that? Yeah. yeah, what absolutely. is a visual information process, right? So visual information processing is how well the eyes take in information and then the brain is able to do something and with that information that it's perceiving. So being able to look at a pen, process that it's a pen, and then be able to spit out what 
a pen exactly is. Now, within visual information processing, there's a few things that we look at or we, that we think about for symptoms. It's, it's patients that have difficulties with identifying objects that are similar or maybe objects that are different. I think a really common one that happens after brain injury is being able to find objects in a busy background or visual figure ground. So, you know, going to your refrigerator and trying to find that bottle of ketchup and looking and looking and all of a sudden somebody comes up right behind you and just grabs it off the shelf. But not being able to process all of that information and find that one object you're looking for. And then visual memory and being able to recall a picture or recall information that you were able to do, you know, maybe before the accident or maybe not as well. I think some less common symptoms that, again, happen and people don't think about mentioning because they think they're coming to the eye doctor for a pair of glasses is vestibular or visual vestibular issues. You know, patients that feel dizzy or feel off kilter. I think everybody thinks that, you know, while the ear is a primary source for that, there's a lot that the vision plays with visual vestibular mismatches or eye-ear um, mismatches that cause patients to have trouble stabilizing the world while they're turning their head. They turn their head left or right, and then it causes them to be, to be dizzy. Well, I'd like to talk about dizziness more after the break. We just have a couple more minutes uh, before the break. But, um, you know, the list of symptoms go on and on, certainly. And I think one of the things that I see so often is after injury, patients have such grief, loss, anxiety, fear of never getting back to their jobs or their families, and they change, often have emotional change and pain and frustration, they can't always tell you exactly what's happening, and they lose their confidence of what they're seeing. Uh, like you said, it could be swimming. Well, you know, that doesn't sound like that would make any sense, swimming. And so many of these patients come in very um, apprehensive, confused, and we're going to get into, you know, the importance of education, because if there's one thing that I know that makes a huge difference in this population is somebody being with them, explaining what's going on and trying treatments and giving them the reassurance, you know, that there's a really good chance that things could get better and better. So we're going to take a, a break. And after the break, uh, I'd really like to spend the time talking about rehab, some of the new technology and great things your clinic now has to offer, and um, and the education as well. So we will be taking a break in just a minute, and we'll be right back. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. child see really see more than 2020 does your child struggle in school have trouble with tracking when reading or resist writing dr lynn hellerstein's award-winning book see it say it do it provides parents and teachers with specific tools and strategies in visualization and processing improve and empower your child's learning and performance in school sports and play 
Get See It, Say It, Do It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's book, 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance, has identified the top 50 ways for you to achieve excellent results in any sport activity, enhance eye-mind-body coordination skills, achieve the mental edge, prevent injuries. This book belongs in every athlete's or coach's sports bag. Get 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. We have the great opportunity today of being with Dr. Tina Esposito, who is a either a neuro-optometrist or a developmental optometrist at Midwestern University Eye Institute. And she's been talking about the impact of traumatic brain injury and acquired brain injury and how it impacts the visual system. And this first part of the podcast, we were talking about the symptoms and the issues and the problems our patients have. And now I'd really like to have her speak to what can we do about these issues so often. And it's interesting. I did research in this area in 1991, where we would actually do electrodiagnostics of patients that had visual complaints at least one year after their injuries. And doctors had told them it's just in their head and everything's fine. And we did vision therapy and and then did pre and post electrodiagnostic testing and found those patients that had visual symptoms after one year, 70% of them had abnormal visual measurements when we did our exams, 70%. Yet nobody had done anything to treat those visual problems. They hadn't even really looked at them. And after therapy, that percentage went down to 40% of them still had measurable visual difficulties. And so the control group that never got the vision rehab that we're going to talk about still had 70% of dysfunction. So we know that vision rehabilitation has been very effective. There's a lot of literature out there now with studies. Uh, there's a lot of optometrists working with hospitals and optometry schools and lots of organizations documenting um, 
how important vision rehab and and again those websites Nora Nora and COVD have a lot of articles as does my own website lynnhellerstein.com under resources I try to keep the current uh, pertinent articles on my website as well. So let's continue on and start talking about the rehab part. You know, once a patient gets referred to you, and I know you get referrals from all over, you might mention that, but you do the eval and then talk about what's next for that patient. Yeah, so um, at the clinic that I'm at, I'm really fortunate to um, get a lot of referrals and see a lot from the various hospitals and the rehab centers around the surrounding area of Glendale. And these patients have come in, we've done the examination, and we found that there's some issues for us to work on. And now we're at a point to kind of figure out what is next for these individuals. Now, typically, when we think about the management sequence of what we're looking for, we are looking at what the unique scenarios posed to that patient are. Now, I always tell people, right, one traumatic brain injury patient is very different you've seen one traumatic brain injury patient. So it's not a one size fits all, but it is a nice way for us to start thinking about how we can use our tools in the toolbox to help these patients be successful. And I will tell you, I think some of that starts with something as simple as glasses. And I think that, you know, patients that are, have even the smallest prescriptions or maybe something that you might not be so inclined to prescribe for somebody who um, maybe is, didn't suffer an injury, um, you should probably rethink that because sometimes even the smallest prescriptions can make those changes for these individuals so that they can be able to function or just to kind of turn the brain on so they can process information a little bit better, whether it's just a low prescription or whether it's looking at different types of lenses that we'll talk about in a second that might be able to help them function a little bit better. The other thing with thinking about lenses is you know, finding the appropriate setup for these individuals. You know, so often they come in with these progressives and or these glasses that do everything, distance, middle, near, and that might have worked for them prior to the injury. But, you know, after somebody has had this insult to their brain and the brain has to do so much healing and so much processing, those structures or those setups might just not work for them anymore. So it's really taking a step back from the lens aspect or the optical aspect to make sure that we're setting these patients up for success. So uh, that that's a like really a- important point because so many of these, so much of the rehab is first of all, computer based for many of these patients, the cognitive rehab and patients that have been in the progressives, no line invisible bifocals that work great. They have neck problems or may not be able to find the right part of part of the lens to look through. And then you're spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on rehab and they can't even see the screen well or focus or, you know, things like that. So yeah, little prescriptions can make a huge difference, especially in this population. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think our, you know, another thing to consider for when we're thinking about lens setup is the benefit of PRISM. Now, I think one thing that's really unique about PRISM is that it has so many different properties that it can help patients in so many different ways. And I think if we're thinking about patients that have binocular vision issues that maybe can't be more involved in like an active therapy program or just are looking for some immediate relief, 
there's a way to put prism in their glasses so that they can help function a little bit better, you know, bringing the image to where their eyes are naturally resting so that they can, you know, work a little bit more efficient. I think prism also takes on this property of being able to help these patients who are missing part of their vision. Depending on patients who have strokes and where the brain is affected, some patients are missing half of their field of vision, either the right side or the left side. And they're bumping into things and they're having trouble navigating. And while the vision can't come back, there are rehab tools such as PRISM, whether it's a Gottlieb or whether it's an Elipelli, which are just fancy names for the house, the types of PRISMs we use. But these PRISMs are used to help increase or help the patients identify areas that are in that field of loss so that they become more comfortable detecting what's over there, scanning and learning to identify. So while I can't fix the dead tissue, I can utilize these prisms to help them navigate their environment a little bit more safely. And the last function of prism, while we think about for eye teaming or we think about for field loss, is for patients who might have something that's known as a visual midline shift, which is patients that they think that they're walking fine. They think they're straight up and down and walking the straight line. But upon observation of your patient, you notice that they're tilting to the right or to the left. They're maybe walking into walls and they don't have a visual field defect. But there's this, through the use of PRISM, you can try different values to be able to help them walk with a little bit more confidence and a little bit straighter. And visual midline shift is something that I work a lot on in my clinic. And I'm fortunate enough to have some tools here to, um, with the virtual reality, which we'll talk about in a second to help really be able to start gauging how much these patients are shifting and what types of prism and lenses are able to help get them back to normal. So when you talk about prisms and lenses, um, these look like regular glasses, but mm-hmm. there are special prescriptions that may, that may not just be to help you see clearer, but to focus, prisms can shift the light, so that could help with things like double vision or the visual midline. Uh, visual balance. And so when you talk about the importance of prisms and lenses, uh, a lot of people, again, who aren't familiar with optometry and our tools, those are our big magic tools. And they're specialized just for you uh, to make sure that it's not just about seeing, but it's see body integration and movement. So it's a whole different evaluation than just which is better, one or two. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Great, great point. Great point. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's move know, into rehab. Were you going to go into rehab yet? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of the next, uh, the next phase. So um, one area that I think is really beneficial for these patients is this area of vision therapy and this area of utilizing uh, the ability to use a series of activities to help rehabilitate the visual system to get them back to maybe finding their new normal, right? Or being able to kind of help them with these skills so that they are just able to function and work with their activities of daily living again. And vision therapy is such a fantastic tool because it is specialized for that individual. It is designed for their symptoms and their their findings so that they can be successful. Um, but vision therapy is also have, is coming a really long way with regard to the types of equipment that we can use for these patients to completely rehabilitate themselves. And 
uh, one area here at the university that we've been really dabbling with is this use of virtual reality to integrate into our rehab patients. Now, I think when people think virtual reality, they tend to go more to this headset where you place the headset on and get the experience in there. And I'm talking about a different type of virtual reality. I'm talking about one that's out of instruments. And we have a unit here that's called the CARIN. Uh, CARIN stands for Computer Assisted Rehabilitation Environment. And the way that this unit is set up is that there is a large screen and then there is a dual belt treadmill and the patient gets harnessed in. They get to go out on this treadmill where we can change the speed because we know it's extremely important to start integrating aerobic activities and movement and heart rate into active therapy as patients are recovering from brain injury. And then what we do is we take a situation that the patient might be uncomfortable in. So let's say it's navigating a grocery store because for acquired brain injury patients, a grocery store could be one of the most overwhelming places, whether it's the figure ground that we talked about earlier, or maybe it's just the light sensitivity because of the fluorescent lighting from the aisles of the grocery store, because that flicker of those lights are so disabilitating to these patients. So we put up this grocery store on the screen, we harness them in and they start walking. And as they're going throughout the grocery store, we're starting to load the system and make things a little bit more challenging for them to see how they process their environment. And it allows us to do things in vision therapy and translate this into this actual environment for them to see if they're, they're getting better. It allows us to incorporate things like the prism and filters, which are colored lenses to help with the light sensitivity or to help with how patients process information or for us to be able to just see how well they're functioning with our current treatment to see if they're, you know, they're making success. You know, one of my favorite examples of this is that we just had a flight attendant who um, suffered a concussion. She, she fell while she was at work and she's been having really bad dizziness um, symptoms and she was having really a hard time with her keeping her balance. And you can imagine on a plane when there's turbulence, how challenging it is already to keep your balance. So we were able to take this individual who was a flight attendant and create a flight simulator using this piece of technology and stimulate that turbulence that this patient was experiencing, even down to where we had her wear her flight attendant shoes so that she truly immersed herself in the experience. I would never be able to get her up into a plane otherwise, but it was <laughs> a great way for me to try my treatment options and stimulate the turbulence and get her in this environment to see how my rehab strategies were working. And by the end of that program, and by the end of the time she was done, she was so grateful that she was able to get back on that plane and she was able to do her job the way that she was. So grateful, in fact, that her mother is also a flight attendant who then also went through our flight simulator program as well. So, um, isn't that yeah, cool? I mean, it's a great tool. Well, the real advantage of that is. You know, when somebody has an injury like that, you can't just throw them back in the environment. It's like an athlete who's been hurt, and then you just throw them in there and say, hit that 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And, and with your technology, you can really take out some of the overload, maybe not move the plane, as simulated plane as much, and slowly let them adapt. I know when I was out there and I tried your uh, instrument, um, it was challenging just to stand up. It's like standing on this balance 
uh, ball that keeps kind of moving and you could change how fast it moves. And um, my question to you was how many people get sick trying to do that where they're trying to visually operate and have the vestibular imbalance system uh, stimulated? Um, it's, it's a decent number. You know, I'll tell you that when they start, um, it's kind of a, a good indication for us to kind of see where they're at. Um, you know, we always have a couple of safety stops on that machine so that if anybody does feel sick, you know, we can get them off. But um, it's, you know, I'll tell you, it's a really good tool for us to see if they're getting better because some of these patients that are really nauseous or dizzy when they start their first couple of sessions, and then we do some active VT and we kind of integrate this technology in, um, you know, towards the end of their program, they're not feeling that way. And usually that's the first sign that really makes people happy. When they step onto that machine and the machine turns on and it starts to move the platform for the first time and they don't get that, that feeling of anxiousness or that pit in their stomach where they feel like they're going to throw up, um, it's usually the first sign where people are just, you just see them light up, you see their demeanor change. And it's just, it's so rewarding. You're rewarding for the patient and the doctor as well. And and these are patients I know you've seen that, you know, when we start, we may just want to check and see how their eyes are moving and take a little wand and have them follow like uh, back and forth with their eyes. And just that motion can make them so sick that I've had patients who've had to turn out the lights give them jackets and give them tactile and, and proprioceptive stimulation and had to call somebody to bring them home. That's how overstimulated some of these patients might get. And so to see that through your technology and other vision therapy kind of rehabilitation, that patient could walk out of there and not be nauseous and sick over time. It, it's truly like a miracle. Uh, you know, how long do you work with these patients? Does it happen in the first time or give us a little time frame? Yeah, so um, some of it depends on the, the condition that they're coming in for, but typically we try and build the Karen throughout their, their therapy. So they do an initial eval on that. And then if, you know, then we kind of try and get them on at least once every other week for about, you know, 20 to 25 minutes, just kind of integrating them into the therapy. And we want to make sure that they're if we do have patients that are really symptomatic, that they're recovering from some of those symptoms. Um, but typically we kind of hold them on that Karen for about six to eight weeks. Um, max, I think we've done 12, but typically on average, if somebody comes in and does the work and puts in the time, about six to eight weeks is kind of the, the rehab time with utilizing that tool for us to, to kind of see the changes or see some um, improvements. Now, some of these patients might still have visual information processing problems, and so uh, they could be there longer if you're working on some of the other skills as Absolutely. well as that. Yeah, so because I know some of our patients, um, you know, six to nine months is kind of typical, but it depends how sick they get. If they get so nauseous and, and uncomfortable with just the very, very basics of eye movements, um, I know in our practice we find that we just have to slow it down and, and build up at a slower pace. Are you seeing yeah, similar yeah. kinds of results on that? Yeah, ab absolutely. And I think, um, and that's something, you know, go, that kind of goes into that education piece. You know, I think people are looking for these quick fixes. And I think sometimes it's just educating them that, 
you know, it's having to break down the system to rebuild up a more even foundation. And that can take, you know, a variety of time depending on your symptomology and how you do with the activities that we're going to, that we're going to participate in. And I think patients just like to have this idea of knowing that, you know, it's not like it's going to happen overnight or it's not like it's going to happen in three sessions and then they're going to be better. Um, so really being able to keep them involved in the treatment and management and what that timeline looks like and how we're progressing is, um, I think, just helpful for their overall anxiety and their motivation to want to continue. And the great opportunity in our last couple minutes, uh, what I'd like to do is make sure that you share how people can either reach you and your and the facility at Midwestern um, if there's a website and a question on the website, do you have any video of, um, you know, this uh, great instrument and how it looks so people could see what it would be like having that technology? Um, absolutely. So if uh, midwestern.edu um, brings you up to the Midwestern University website page, um, through here, you can actually navigate to get to our Therapy Institute. And on our Therapy Institute page, we have a whole bunch of videos that are built out to demonstrate the Karen and some of the work that we've done with the Karen. Um, recently, we took some of the work that we've done and kind of submitted it to uh, a competition that was um, done by the company who created the Karen. And um, we won third place. And it was kind of demonstrating the role of eye movement using that instrument and using some tracking glasses to kind of see how you can integrate the two tools. Um, so it's, um, but there's a lot of videos on the, on the website to kind of give you a good idea of the pictures and just kind of what we're doing with it. Well, that's really great. And we're going to, we're about at the end of our time. And, and one thing I think I want our listeners to know that that instrumentation is not available all over the country yet. You have cutting edge new stuff, but there's still so much great um, optometry and vision rehabilitation that people can find. And when you're looking for a doctor, you know, check out the websites of covd.org and Nora and, um, you know, really find yourself a great doctor who can do what you're doing, Tina, work with the other professionals, which is what's so unique about your institute. I mean, hospital and rehab centers, the OTPT, speech people, cognitive, they all work together, but they often leave out vision. And uh, I want to really thank you, Tina, for your inspiration and words of wisdom. Um, and to remind our listeners Thanks for joining us. And remember that your vision doesn't define you. You define your vision and expand your vision so that you can see with clarity, gain courage and confidence. Tina, thanks. Thanks to you for being here. And please give all your colleagues a big uh, thank you and a, a big hug from me. I'm just so impressed with what you're doing. And it's just great to have you on today. I will. Thank you again for your time and for the, the opportunity to speak. I, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Bye-bye.
Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.